This episode is brought to you by eBay Authenticity Guarantee. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem. Sneakers and streetwear are so fresh, every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts, real people who love this stuff, with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue checkmark that says Authenticity Guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. Welcome to Jam Session. I'm Juliette Litton. I'm Amanda Dobbins. We are incredibly honored to be joined today by Emily Rodkowski. Emily, hello. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for joining us. We talked about your piece in New York Magazine, and um, that's why you're here today to talk more about the piece and the process of it. And um, we we want to ask you a lot, just sort of about like, you know, being a celebrity and what it's <laughs> been like for you for the last, I guess, t- 10 years. And the last week or so and everything you've been through. And um, yeah, so we'll just dive into it. And I think, you know, just like first and foremost, we really loved what you wrote and thought it was incredibly brave and really admire um, your work and just wondering how you're doing and how you're feeling now that it's out in the world. Oh, thank you so much. Um, You know, it's, it was really scary to put it out into the world. And I think it stayed a little bit scary, um, even while there's been this amazing response. And I've been so overwhelmed with how many people the piece resonated with. It still is a little scary because I think once you put your truth into the world, you kind of have to like continue to hold it up. And that's a weird thing that I didn't really think about before. But uh, mostly I just... I've the people that I've been hearing from particularly women, but honestly men too. Um, it's just been a really incredible experience. The thing about I think men responding, I totally noticed that as well, which is is really cool and I think speaks to how well written this the story was that it was something that or I don't I mean call it a story, your your experience in your essay, like just I think that people were able to find um, resonance through what you wrote. And I, I noticed that too, to be honest. I mean, Amanda and I, we work at the ringer, which largely focuses on sports. So we have a lot of male colleagues and a lot of male readers and listeners. And I just, I saw a lot of them sharing it. And I, I was really, I thought that was really meaningful. You know, it's funny. I think a lot of my writing, um, the first person who reads it is my husband. (laughs) 
Um, and he is a straight white male. <laughs> and, uh, you know, sometimes it's, it just feels really important to me that if, you know, if I can't reach him, then what am I doing? You know, that's the most important person to, to me that I want to, I want to be able to talk to. So. Emily, I wanted to ask you, and also since Juliet has um, been speaking, I just want to echo everything <laughs> that she said in terms of the, the piece being extraordinary in terms of um, your decision to write it and to share um, everything that your experience and everything that's been in, in, you've been living with for so many years and also just beautifully written. Um, I was curious how you decided actually to write this piece. Um, so, you know, it wasn't the first piece I, I had written, um, for this collection. I mean, I didn't know, I think when I started this piece, I didn't know that I was necessarily writing a collection, but it certainly wasn't, um, one of the first pieces. Um, but, you know, I guess it came from just dealing with a lot of instances of copyright and image use. And, um, you know, I go on Instagram and I'll see a picture of me that I don't even remember being taken, being used on a magazine or, you know, in a, uh, a T-shirt or something. It's something that I'm faced with a lot. And it always really gives me this um, sense of like violation um, and mm -hmm. immediate anxiety. So I sort of started to lean into that. Um, and I actually hadn't read or written the Jonathan piece, um, sort of as a part of it. I started to write the Jonathan piece later and it sort of, it felt like something I was just writing for myself, um, partly just therapeutically for cathartic reasons. And when I was finished with it, I realized that it fit with this other chunk of writing I'd already started. Was that the Richard Prince piece of it? Yeah, Richard Prince and the paparazzi and um, that chunk. Got it. Mm -hmm. So I want to ask, I have a million more questions about all of the issues of, you know, consent and and photography and copyright that you opened. But um, to just to go back to the writing of the piece first for a minute. So it sounds like you write for yourself a fair amount just in your life. Is that something that you do? Yeah, I'm, uh, especially in the last, um, year and a half or maybe two years, I really started to write and, you know, beyond just, um, writing for myself, build these sort of essays. And I guess kind of when did you, did you bring the piece to New York magazine or when did you even decide like, okay, this is something that I actually would like to share with the world? Because that's a, a very big decision. Yeah. <laughs> Great question. Um, I, I had to think about that a lot right before this came out. Um, uh, I, I got a lit agent at the beginning of 2020 because at that point I had quite a bit of writing and I, I decided that I definitely wanted to turn it into a book, um, or something, you know, a collection of essays. And, um, once we got to a certain point with, I think I have eight or so essays. Uh, my agent said, you know, I really think we should send these to David Haskell at the, at, uh, New York magazine. So we did. And, um, shortly after I got a call from this amazing woman and actually ended up being my editor on the piece, Marissa Carroll. And she wanted to do, um, this piece, which was originally called In Her Own Image, um, and was 11,000 words. So I was really kind of shocked that she wanted to. It was also, it's one of my favorite, pieces, but it's certainly a heavy piece. So I was really surprised and also just happy that she wanted to do it. Um, and then working with her and 
you know, just working a ton myself, we cut it down to 7,000 words. And yeah. Wow. It didn't read like 7,000 words. I'm surprised. I would have guessed like 3,000 actually. That's, that's correct. That's crazy. A couple of people tweeted me and were like, super long read, but worth the time. (laughs) (laughs) It's the internet. We've got the space. Yeah, seriously. How did you enjoy the editing process? What was that like working with someone who you didn't know with such personal stories? Well, she did a really great job um, of collaborating. There were other parts of the piece that, um, you know, kind of went into other examples or specifics about relationships that I had um, that I am going to eventually publish. I, I think the longer version should exist in the world at some point. Um, but we really, we agreed on a lot of the stuff that she, you know, the sort of beginning, just cutting down. Also, Marissa's 29-year-old woman. I'm a 29-year-old woman. I think being able to work with someone like that um, was so important and amazing. And you know, when we started the fact-checking process, which was really the the hardest part of the editing process, where you know anyone who's mentioned in the story is um, contacted by New York Magazine or yeah, New York Magazine, and they start to um, go through all the facts, and it was really scary. Obviously, there's a lot of people in there that I don't really want to feel connected to in any capacity, and um, she sort of helped me remind myself you know, why I'd written the piece in the beginning and my point of view and gave me a lot of strength um, to make it the piece that it ended up being. So I just, I think that's, you know, I think you mentioned that you guys both started out as editors. That's why I have so much respect for editors because there's also a a lot of emotional support that comes with it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. From the, from the good editors. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like, sounds like you got a good one. I did. Uh I did. Um, how did that compare to your experiences um, on photo shoots and video shoots? You know, like, w- what did that collaboration feel like versus the like, earlier parts of your career? Oh, I mean, I think it felt so great. I- I've sort of positioned myself in the last couple of years as someone who um, has more control um, because I have my own company. So um, I do a lot of, I art direct everything for that. I design all the clothes and all that stuff. And I think that that's also helped. And I think the culture has changed. I have to say, you know, before people felt like Instagram was some stupid thing that, you know, dumb girls used or whatever, which I actually kind of allude to in the piece. And I think now in the last couple of years, people have you know, that's their full-time job is to run an Instagram for a brand. And so there's been a shift in um, respect for that. So people would hire me and start to be like, okay, what do you, how do you see this? What photographer do you want to work with? Um, Which felt really good. Uh, And I really honestly started only wanting to do jobs like that in the last couple of years. That being said, um, you know, there's only, I think one of the things my best friend, who's my business partner at, um, in Amarada, my clothing company is always like, it's just not, you just need more, don't you? <laughs> like it just, um, I think for me being able to work on something that, you know, had all these ideas that I'm obsessed with and, um, you know, was artful, I hope, um, just that is, brings me so much more joy <laughs> and satisfaction. Um, can we ask you a little bit about Instagram? Something that we talk about a lot. Yeah. I guess what is your relationship to Instagram now? I guess, you know, there's probably like two 
answers or maybe two paths, but I guess like, what is it like professionally? And also what is it like personally? Like just as someone with an Instagram account? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I think my relationship has really evolved and in the last couple of years, um, especially it's changed. Um, you know, it's, it's so much connected to my business now. Um, I feel even when I'm putting up a personal non-branded, you know, quote unquote photograph, it still feels like it's a part of my work. And, you know, I, I have to say I use for if I get home and from a long day, I don't typically want to go on Instagram. Um, I want to go on TikTok <laughs> and I'm not posting on TikTok. I just find it a lot more relaxing. So that's sort of my personal relationship. And yeah, I would say that Instagram's really remained a prof- it has become even more of a work focused uh, media for me. So I think that that opens up a lot of the questions that we had about and and what you identify in your piece in terms of the the personal versus the private and how you personally uh draw that line or whether you can to an extent um because we are people who just like look at Instagram a lot and and look at pictures of other people's um content and and the line between celebrity and personal and private for me just kind of is all blurred together on that feed and um I'm trying to be better about it. Uh, Juliet and I talk a lot about on this podcast of um, thinking about like the, the ethics of consuming this stuff. And I don't think we're looking for absolution or for you to solve this for everybody, but I'm curious about, but how you draw that line or how you start to feel any sort of ownership or do you? Well, the personal versus um, like image that I'm putting out into mm-hmm. the world is definitely a really great question because I think that, um, you know, in a lot of ways, you've seen this wall just dissolve between, you know, a person's um, like a public figure's personal life and their image um, more and more with Instagram. And it's encouraged, you know, people like to see pictures of my dog. Um, and my instinct as that happened was just a lot of men. Totally. Like I have no, that's, yeah, this is fun. I can take cool pictures of my life. And I think as I've gotten older um, and sort of figured out what I want just in general, um, I've put up a little bit more of a wall with that. This episode is brought to you by eBay Authenticity Guarantee. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem. Sneakers and streetwear so fresh, every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts, real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue checkmark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on, I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, 
brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. And I guess like, you know, I'm not sure how much you can speak about the dispute with the paparazzo that you mentioned, but we curious sort of uh, what your relationship is like with the paparazzi in general. And, you know, how do you um, view the kind of economy that is just like is rampant on the internet with paparazzi photos? I mean, you know, there's so many websites that basically just our paparazzi photos, like the Daily Mail, which, you know, we, Amanda and I have a lot of um, complex and <laughs> conflicting opinions about. I have the app. I have the Daily Mail app. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I, like Amanda said, we're not like, you know, you don't need to like forgive us of our sins, but I think it's just, it's, it's hard to know like how, what, what the ethics are. And so just curious, like for you as a, as a target and a subject, what that feels like. Yeah, it's so hard because I've been on either side of it. I've been the person consuming images and enjoying them and being like, oh, it's fun to just look at so-and-so with, you know, what they ate for lunch or whatever. Um, it is really different when you're the person that it's happening to. Um, you know, when I moved back to New York, I'd lived here when I was younger and then I'd been mostly in LA. And when my husband and I got married, we moved back to New York and it became just a feeding frenzy of paparazzi outside of our old apartment. We were in NoHo and it was just like the wrong location. And, um, you know, I got a dog, so I was always walking my dog and, um, it just was really hard because, um, especially when the concept that these these paparazzi who are mostly men could sue me or were, were wanting to sue me. And it made me feel especially um, like basically the people who are standing outside my front door every day were not my friends. And that's really scary. Also the thought, like one time I had a little physical thing I pulled um, or no, I tore a muscle in my leg and I was actually leaving to go to the hospital. And I tried to explain to them, like, this isn't the moment guys and they just kept shooting and laughed. <laughs> and, you know, there's this like moment where you realize, oh, if I got hit by a car, these people wouldn't, you know, call the police. They would take pictures first. <laughs> Maybe they'd call the police later or call an ambulance later, but they'd take a picture first. And that's when it started to feel really unsafe. And um, my relationship shifted. I felt really uncomfortable with it. Is it, is it worse in New York than it is in L.A.? LA, you can just get in a car. And also, I, you know, I, I like to be outside. I love New York. I like, that's why I love to live in New York, to walk on the streets. Um, that's been an interesting thing with COVID when, you know, it first happened. It was like, oh my God, what's going to happen if you can't go outside? Um, but yeah, I would say it's a little bit worse too. It's very easy for them to get around Manhattan in LA. 
it's pretty spread out. There's a lot of traffic. They have to make a decision of who they're going to be, you know, what person in their house is they're going to be spending their day at. Here it feels like, okay, we will be at Emily's for the morning, be at Gigi's for the afternoon, whatever, you know? That's so great. Do you always see them? Like how, how frequently are you just like not aware of the photographers? That's honestly one of the worst times is when I haven't been aware. And then all of a sudden I'm like, they've been with us for three hours and I've been chatting away with my girlfriend and eating food. And all of a sudden I feel really self-aware and totally out of control. Um, so, you know, it's one of those annoying things. I've become one of those people who really looks around me and I hate that. I don't want to be that friend. You know, I just think about if I had a friend who dealt with paparazzi, would be like, chill out, man, we're going out to dinner, you know? But there's some part of me that's quietly always assessing, is there someone, you know, even when I go on vacation or something, like, is there, I was actually one time on vacation for a friend's birthday. This actually could have been in the essay now that I think about it. Um, and we all, it was a group of five girls and we were in Mexico, super, you know, empty beach and we went topless um, swimming. And I got to the airport two days later and all the photos were on the internet. And it was just like, it was so hard. And, you know, honestly, my friends were really upset too. They didn't want to be photographed, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, as someone who talks about control a lot with her own therapist, this is all uh, very resonant with me, but um, e even if not this specific situation, but I'm curious kind of, because at some point you do have to keep on living and you respond to that in certain ways. And you, um, uh, you as you mentioned, you have a, a clothing business and you have and you wrote this beautiful essay and you have found a way to or at least from the outside, it seems like you found a way to live in the world despite this lack of control or maybe even regaining some. And, you know, I admire that. And I'm also just a little bit like, how have you come to that place? You know, um, I talk about control a lot with my therapist, too. <laughs> Great. Thank you. <laughs> this is a safe space. Yeah, definitely a safe space. It's something that um, just is it's physical for me. Um, when I don't feel like I'm in control, it's that's the first way that I know that I'm freaking out or that I feel mm -hmm. out of control. But um, it's case by case. I think that every option that comes in um, in my opportunity or, you know, I have a moment of do I want to do this thing or pursue this thing, I really think about control. Um, and that's because I I've had so many experiences where I didn't value it enough and um, found myself in situations where I felt I was exploited or just didn't, you know, didn't get to have the control that I, I thought I'd, I wanted. Um, so now I really prioritize it in life in general. <laughs> what has that meant for your career in a practical sense in terms of how, whether you assess a business opportunity or, you know, deciding to write this book? Yeah, I think as far as, um, acting and modeling, um, it's meant a lot less acting <laughs> partly because it's such a example of, um, you know, and I really, my husband's a movie producer, um, and I love film. Like I grew up watching movies and I started doing theater when I was seven. So I love acting. Nice. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I love, I love theater. Sorry. Carry on. <laughs> um, but, uh, I guess, I just started to realize like, you know, I want to be the person who I want to be the person who's building the vision. I don't want to be a pawn in someone else's vision. I don't want to be a piece of their chessboard. Um, I want to be the person playing. And especially my experience with film has been a lot of male directors, male producers, 
Um, and I really, that's something that I want to come back to at a different point in my life. I've really been focused on the writing. So that's definitely for one, that means that, um, for acting, for modeling, it means sometimes taking less money, um, as far as turning down jobs because I don't have control and they're just thinking of me as a model, as a mannequin essentially. Um, but I think overall, I mean, I hope, and again, this is one of those things where time will only tell, but that, you know, it will serve me in the long run. The short term, there might be things that I turn down and decide not to do. And, you know, who knows what, where those places could have led me. But I hope in the long term, it helps me just build a point of view in a world that um, I want to be a part of. There's a, I think, an ongoing conversation um, within the entertainment industry that was kind of partially with the writers and the agencies having um, their sort of dispute earlier this year. And then I saw Michaela Cole from You May Destroy You, I May Destroy You on HBO give a really, really incredible speech about um, owning her own work. And I feel like there's just a a big movement within entertainment to change that. I'm curious, is there also like a similar movement within modeling specifically about like also how you agree to jobs? Like I think the detail in your piece about um, that sometimes like your agent will just sign a release for you was like, was definitely shocking. I'm curious, like, is there, is there any kind of movement to change how that's done? I don't think there is a movement to change how that's done. I think that there was a personal <laughs> movement within myself. Sure. I came to agencies, um, a couple of years ago when I switched and I said, this is how I view things. Like, this is how I work. It's a collaboration. I'm going to say no to a lot of things. I'm going to, you know, turn down money that you might want and think I should take. Um, How do you feel about that? But no, I think overall in general, that's not necessarily true in the fashion world. I will say with um, COVID, there's been smaller sets and, you know, models have taken the role of art director and photographer. And that's been exciting to see. Is that what happened with the shoot for New York Mag? Um. No, actually, uh, that was, that was really fun though, because they, again, it was all women I was working with and they really wanted it to be a collaboration. So, you know, I had had this idea about the magazine, the images behind, and we came up with this concept together and picked the photographer together. And, um, it was a really cool experience. That's awesome. Um, I think we're also just like, what, what else can you tell us about your book? very excited about it. Thanks. I mean, wish me luck. It has not gone to a publisher (laughs) yet. So, um, knock on wood that that happens. Um, you know, I just, I, I'm like you, I love to read. Um, I've always loved to read and especially as I, I don't know, I feel like in the last six years, I got super into essay collections, um, and just love them so much. I love a beautiful essay. I think that's just my favorite type of reading. Um, some people love poetry. Some people love novels. I love essays. And when I started writing, um, it just became clear. I mean, I don't want to say started writing. When I started writing and thinking this could be something, it was really clear to me that it was going to be an essay collection from the, from day one. What are some of your favorites? Um, We like to recommend books here on Jam Session. Yeah. So, so it doesn't have to be an essay collection. Yeah, no no it pressure. It really just be anything. Genuinely curious. Um, I really actually, she tweeted, this is one of my favorite writers and she's not as well known. Um, and she tweeted me when, when the essay came out and I just kind of lost my shit. Um, 
Lacey Johnson, and she wrote a collection called The Reckonings, which I recommend to everyone. And it's sort of about justice and what does it, what does justice mean? And it goes everywhere from climate change to, um, feminist theory. And it's just really like raw and vulnerable and smart. So I, I always say that that book really, if there was one that I could just make people read, it would be that one maybe. I got to check it out. I've never heard of it. It's going on my list. Also, I congratulations. That fear of having some, not that fear, but that feeling of having someone who you like have a mind meld with actually. It's exciting. That's a big deal. So I'm glad you got a big reaction. I lost it. I was, a, yeah. I think <laughs> I like did a dance. <laughs> <laughs> What else have you been um, reading and watching during COVID? Um, I watched I May Destroy You, which um, I really enjoyed. And I, again, love the story that she told about turning down the Netflix deal um, for ownership rights and holding out for a better deal. Um, I also, um, I read The Empathy Exams by Leslie Mm. Jameson. That's a really amazing collection. Um, Trick Mirror by Gia Tolentino. I'm sure you guys have read that. Um, yes. I read Stephanie Dandler's new novel, Stray. I read a lot of bell hooks, actually, um, because somebody recommended about all about love to me and I took me down a rabbit hole of sort of all of her work. Um, God, I read Fierce Attachments, which is old school, but I'd never read it. It came out in like 87. Um, God, I have books next to me, but yeah, I've been reading a lot. (laughs) That's been a positive of COVID the time inside to just read and also watch stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I think I've kind of run out of stuff to watch so much. (laughs) (laughs) Um, oh, I also read, uh, God, women by Chloe Caldwell. I really like that book. That's sort of, um, it's, it's actually not essays, but it feels, it kind of works like that. It's cool. I need to write all of them down. It's a great so list. Can, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's a, seriously. It's a, a good <laughs> syllabus for us and for everyone listening. <laughs> yeah. There's never enough time to read all the books I want to read, but yeah. Feel the same way. Especially when there's a, you're like oscillating between books you feel like you should read and like, you're like, oh, I know this will be really good for me and I'll learn a lot. And just books that are like, just kind of comfort and yes. just like, this will be mm-hmm. fun and relaxing. We, we try to we try to double do go into both categories when we talk about books on this pod. <laughs> That's very smart. Um, yeah, <laughs> you got to balance them out. Totally, Emily. Thank you so much for joining us. We're really excited to read more of your work and and see what's next for you. Thanks so much. Um, and I really you know appreciated the the way that you shaped the conversation, um, the initial conversation you had talking about the essay. Um, because that's really all I wanted from this was to bring up a conversation and bring up ideas. Um, and I don't have answers necessarily. So it was just really amazing to hear you guys talk about it. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. It, it's all it's all from your piece and your ideas. So we will definitely it's a conversation we'll keep having. Um, yes. So thank you for being a part of it. Good luck with all of your uh, all your work. Thanks. You too. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by State Farm. 
You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.